Hello, I'm your host, Grayson Prolty. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders, innovators, and strategists who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Petz Girapino, Head of Commercialization at Neuro. On today's episode, we'll discuss the future of autonomous delivery vehicles. We hope you enjoy this episode. Petch, welcome to the podcast. Grayson, thanks for having me. We're excited to have you here because Neuro's well on the road to commercialization. You're getting world-class partnerships. You have Walmart, you have FedEx, you have Kroger, you have BYD, and then you have everybody's favorite delivery pizza, Domino's. Putting this all together, what's Neuro's commercialization strategy? Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Grayson. So let me let me start with uh, there are really kind of three aspects to our commercialization strategy, right? Let, let's start with the very basic one first. We are a delivery only company, AV company, right? Uh, we don't distract ourselves with passenger, with trucking, right? We just focus on one use case, and that is delivery. On-demand deliveries right now are 30 to 50% larger than passenger ride hailing. This is sort of like a little known fact. So deliveries are a massive market. And this is before you factor in traditional e-commerce and enterprise deliveries as well, which are 4X, 5X, even larger than on-demand deliveries. So this is a massive market opportunity. Yet, you know, so many other AV companies are are focusing on passengers and and trucking. We say, you know what, we're going to just focus on one use case and do it really well. We are going to optimize our vehicle, economics, autonomy, operations for this one use case. So that's kind of the first uh, pillar, uh, if you may call, uh, for for our uh, commercialization strategy. The second part of this is we believe that commercializing a new tech like AV takes a village, right? Uh, And we're not going to try to own every single part, uh, every single step in terms of commercializing uh, AV uh, ourselves. We are going to focus on what we are world class at. And in other areas, we are going to partner up. What this means is uh, pretty early on in our company's lives, we have chosen to be a B2B company. We are not going to build out our own marketplace, a retailer interface, and none of those things. There are so many companies that are world-class at those areas already. We are going to just focus on building an amazing tech and a really efficient operation and in order to enable our partners to deliver better uh, and more affordably. So that's sort of the second part of our strategy, being an enabler within the system, not trying to own everything ourselves. The last component of our commercialization strategy is about achieving a tight integration with each partner that we work with. What does this mean? It means that we design our hardware with many of our partners uh, directly in terms of the size, in terms of the specs, but we also uh, make sure that we don't just build a technology and product and hoping that they will come. Uh, We work with them to figure out, to download uh, hundreds of millions of real-world delivery delivery data points from them that allow us to, and and we put all of these delivery data points, Grayson, uh, into our simulator. So we get to optimize our routes, we get to figure out where to expand to, we get to figure out what road features, driving features we should solve first in order to maximize impact that we can have on our partners, right? So those are kind of the key, the key pillars of our strategy, being delivery first, uh, being a B2B company, uh, being an enabler within the ecosystem, and achieving a tight integration with each partner that we work with to make sure that we develop the right product, the right technology for each of our partners. It's a smart strategy. It's one that I want to highlight. The focus aspect, there's so many other companies in the autonomy space 
they go on to the next thing. Oh, we got a passenger. Oh, we got to go into trucking. Everybody's going to trucking or whatever the next thing might be. If, if it might, perhaps they're going to go into delivery. How from a culture does Neuro stay laser focused on just delivery? Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. Uh, we, we kind of started from the beginning with the founders, uh, Dave and Jay-Z. Uh, they were part of Google's self-driving car projects uh, for, for years and years. Uh, and one insight that they had at that point that led to them starting Neuro was that uh, autonomy is a matter of when, when, when this is going to land. Uh, and the best strategy when it comes to introducing autonomy is how to limit down the scope in a smart way uh, that would allow us to be safer uh, on roads in order to accelerate the, the path to commercialize, to scale up the technology. And that insight was rather than us trying to tackle everything all at once, we, delivery is going to be the safest path to introduce autonomy. Why? Because once you remove the passengers, you remove you already take humans out from half of the equation. You can just focus on the people outside. You don't have to deal with the trade-offs between the comfort and safety of people inside with the, the, the safety of people outside the vehicle, right? We get to design the vehicle that sort of self-sacrifice. Uh, we have an external airbag. We have sort of materials out front uh, that absorbs in energy in the event of co uh, collision. Right. And that's kind of like that was sort of the original thesis uh, that led Dave, to, and Dave and Jay-Z to, to leave Google Self-Driving Car Project and, and start Neuro. And we are so convicted, we are so con confident in this thesis that pretty much over the past six and a half years of Neuro, uh, we believe that this is the right path. And uh, the more uh, we have gone into this, the more we have seen how the technology and industry evolve. Uh, we've just become uh, even more convinced in our strategy, in our original thesis. Uh, and that has allowed us to kind of really stay focused on uh, this one use case, this one uh, singular vision that we have, we have had since the beginning of the company. And that's why the company is scaling, in my opinion. That's why you're getting these world-class partners. You mentioned that the vehicle prioritizes safety. I find it really, really interesting that it prioritizes safety for for other road users and not necessarily for the bot. It's well done. When you go into a new community, if you're going to deploy in this community or that community, how do you message that to the law enforcement, to the members of the community that are going to be sharing the roads with your vehicles? Yeah, so we work really closely with all the local communities uh, before we go in. We have a lot of events for law enforcement, trying to introduce our vehicles to them. Here's how you interact with the vehicles. If you have any issues, here's uh, contact information that you that we have that you can call us up. Uh, we also work with all the local community organizations as well to make sure that when we deploy in each local community, we take into account any concerns that they might have. We answer the questions uh, ahead of time. Uh, for them. So that's kind of a big part of our deployment strategy. We always work with local communities. But I think, you know, what, Grayson, I think what's, what's more important is, I think the proof, the proof is in the pudding, is when we start the operations and it's when the local communities get to see uh, how, we, how we do as sort of like a, a local, sort of a neighbor, right? Uh, we operate in their, in their communities. It's when our vehicles, it's when they get to see how our vehicles drive uh, and they drive uh, more slowly. They always respect the speed limit they're always a little bit more polite uh, right in terms of their driving profile and that's kind of how you gain trust uh, with local communities right i think kind of how the communication strategy only goes so far ultimately uh, it's about us uh, being a good neighbor uh, in, in any local community that we go to 
It's well said. In Houston, you delivered pizzas for Domino's. What was that like the first time you showed up at an individual's house? They open up, ah, fresh pizza in a bot. This is wonderful. What was that like? Oh, it was it was it's fun. It's uh, so I got to shadow a lot of these deliveries, uh, right? And I, I've been with the company with Neuro for five years now, walking past our robots parked inside our HQ every day. So I'm just kind of really uh, have become really accustomed to our vehicles. So Grayson, one of the customers that I that I got to to shadow, and I was waiting with the customer for for the robot to arrive. And our robot had some issues, unfortunately, and we were maybe five, seven minutes late and it felt just terrible uh, that we couldn't meet our promise, our SLA, and it was just apologizing to to her and her family. And then our robot pulled up and the the customer, uh, she just started jumping up and down and her daughter was smiling and giggling and waving hi to the neuro. Uh, and she, the customer said that uh, that was the most exciting thing that happened to her all year. Right, and it was kind of a moment like that that just kind of made you realize that what we are building here is is magical. It's very different from anything that you see out there, uh, and the feedback so far has been overwhelmingly positive. We've done uh, tens of thousands of deliveries, and our net promoter score, uh, which is the uh, the customer satisfaction measurement, has been in the high eighties. Uh, the whole time, right? Uh, sometimes, you know, when we are in Silicon Valley, we can be in a in a bubble. Uh, so kind of once you get to go out and kind of see how local communities and your end customers interact with your product, you kind of get to see, uh, you get to make sure that you become a little bit more grounded uh, in terms of like the product you have to build and what you need to build to make sure that, you know, the, the communities and customers will love the service uh, that we have there. I want to take it one step further, more on the community aspect. You made that little girl's day, and then when she goes to school the next day, and the show and tell, or what did you do? And she goes, the robot came to my house and delivered groceries. Oh my goodness, how did it go? And then she's so proud because she was part of that moment. And that's a really great way to build trust. And then perhaps her friend's parents call and say, okay, we want to we try the neurobot because she tried the neurobot. That's a really great way to help build that public trust by integrating into the local community. A hundred percent, Grayson. And, and as it turns out, kids really love our robots. Uh, we just have a lot of footages of, of kids uh, waving high and they personify our robots. Right? If you look at the front of our robot, it almost looks like it's smiling. Right. Uh, and we actually had a long debate internally on that. We wanted to keep a little bit of a dimples uh, in the robots to make it look like it's smiling, to, to make it look like it's a friendly robot, just kind of, you know, running errands for you in the local neighborhoods. And this is a big part of our strategy, Grayson. We believe that, you know, the first time that local communities will get to interact with self-driving vehicles, they should feel friendly and approachable, right? Uh, they should be uh, driving a little bit uh, more slowly. They should feel like, you know, they are part of the communities and not so, sort of like a really advanced kind of sci-fi robocops coming to take over your neighborhoods, right? And that's kind of has been part of our design philosophy from day one. It's a good design philosophy. I've said this publicly before, but they should look like Pixar characters from Cars. <laughs> and then you start you start to build that trust. Mater shows up or, or Lightning McQueen. Don't want to drive like Lightning McQueen, but you want that smile and the happiness and, and the joy when you get there. When you deliver groceries and food, you're bringing happiness and joy. Some, there's smaller families, three individuals, five individuals. Grocery stores are booming now. The $638,736 are spent a week in supermarkets national, uh, nationally. 
How much groceries can you put in a neurobot that can go to that family? Can a family of five get enough groceries for that entire week? Yeah, so this is an area that we've been working with our partner Kroger. Uh, so Kroger is the largest grocery chain in the United States. Uh, and they've been one of our strongest supporters uh, from day one of the company as well. As part of our design revision for the third generation vehicle that is going to come out next year, we actually worked closely uh, with our friends at, at Kroger to make sure that we can serve most of the grocery needs there. Uh, so for the next generation of our vehicle, Grayson, uh, we can fit about 24 full-sized grocery bags into our vehicle. 24 grocery bags. When was the last time you bought that many groceries, right? That much grocery. So based on the stats that we look at, that's P99 uh, of grocery orders already. So we are pretty confident that we would be able to serve you know, the majority of grocery needs pretty well. I think another trend that is happening too is uh, we believe that once deliveries become cheaper, more affordable, easier, people will more, more likely to break up uh, the grocery orders into sort of more frequent orders as well, right? Uh, if you look at these stat uh, statistics right now, grocery orders are about three times the size of normal uh, in-person grocery visits. Right. What that means is people sort of kind of wait a week or two weeks uh, before they have enough of, of a need uh, before they order grocery online. And that's because each grocery order, delivery order is really expensive. It's, it's about, you know, $10 uh, in terms of overhead costs. So you want to combine, uh, you know, as many trips together as possible. We believe that as we bring down the cost of groceries by 2x, 3x, 5x, people are going to start kind of break, break down the grocery orders and they're going to try to order more on the go. So individual orders will become smaller over time too. So that's kind of like how we see uh, that space evolving in the future. It's wonderful too because then you open up the opportunity for for fresh fruits and vegetables. Perhaps you're you partner with a local farm that can bring up to that family. They can have better fruits and vegetables. That's a big win there. Exactly, uh, Grayson. Rather than you having to buy your your fruits, your vegetable, your milk, uh, and have it last one to two weeks, uh, now you can have it delivered to your home every every few days at a much lower price. Okay, so I'm going to give you a grocery order that a lot of Americans or individuals around the world, for that matter of fact, have done. It's in the summer, it's hot, you buy ice cream, and perhaps you're too tired and you don't want to cook and you bring home the rotisserie chicken. And a car, you have to balance it. In the car, you can't put the ice cream next to the rotisserie chicken. <laughs> How can Neuro get the ice cream there so it's not melted and the rotisserie chicken home so it's still warm for dinner? Yeah, so this is an area that we are, we are spending a lot of time on. Currently, most deliveries are being done, most on-demand deliveries are being done with gig workers, right? So the, that process, that step is not always, uh, you know, kind of being a lot of delivery companies are not paying a, a lot of attention to, to food quality. The way we think about it is now we have the opportunity because we, we get to control the vehicle experience. So the way we think about it is uh, we have two cargo bays uh, per vehicle. Each of these cargo bays is designed to be modular. So we can put in uh, what we call a compartment insert. This is essentially like a, almost a, a small cabinet you can put into a, each of the cargo bays in order to optimize and customize our vehicle for different types of use cases. So one of these compartment inserts that we are working on, we call it the thermal cube. This one allows us to adjust the temperature of individual lockers to meet the needs uh, of different types of deliveries. 
For example, if you're going to deliver pizza, it's important to keep the pizza warm so we can keep the temperature uh, more on the warmer side. If you're going to deliver ice cream, we can keep the temperature, you know, in a, on a cool, cooler range. So that's kind of part of our strategies in order to kind of make sure that food quality uh, arrives, you know, when it arrives at your home, uh, the food quality remains uh, high. Well, certain vehicles from a modular aspect for Kroger, they'll live in, let's call it Kroger Depot. And the Domino's vehicles will live in Domino's Depot because they're, they're different use cases? Or will they go back to a centralized depot and you'll swap out the modular? How will that work? Yeah, so we, we have two types of uh, two business models uh, that we use to, to work with our partners. One is called dedicated vehicles. So for these dedicated vehicles, uh, we basically ring fence these vehicles for a certain partner. So you can imagine FedEx, for example, their use cases are very different from the other use cases we do. Uh, and they have sort of kind of their way of optimizing utilization all day around, right? Uh, so with that, you know, we kind of give them, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of vehicles directly. And with that, they get to, they can keep these vehicles directly at their facilities. So in the morning, we don't have to bring these vehicles to their facilities and in the process, sort of kind of wasting a battery range, right? Uh, and kind of, you know, this, this becomes, uh, this creates empty miles. So that's kind of a, uh, that's sort of, that's one of our two uh, business models, dedicated vehicles. In the other business model, uh, the other business model is shared vehicles. For the partners who don't want to deal with uh, optimization, with maintenance, with making sure that their utilization is well balanced out throughout the day, we'll handle all of that for you. And then we just become a delivery as a service model. So you just call us whenever you need, and then we'll dispatch the best vehicle that is closest to you that has the right conf hardware configuration to pick up that delivery and fulfill that delivery for you. And then we charge you uh, on a per delivery basis. So our partners sort of have two choices on how much they want to uh, take part in terms of utilization, optimization, in terms of maintenance. And with that, you know, they get a little bit more kind of a custom uh, business model. And then for the partners who don't want to deal with all those things, we'll just hand, handle, uh, you know, each individual delivery for them. You have a very big partner we haven't talked about yet in Uber. I could see it going the first way or the second way in the business model. It's, it's a 10-year partnership where Uber's going to use your vehicles to deliver food and goods. Could you talk about that partnership and, and how it's going to work from a business use case scenario, please? I can, I can touch on uh, the partnership at a high level. So obviously Uber is the world's largest mobility company and they are, they are pretty sophisticated in terms of thinking about autonomy uh, because, you know, previously they had ATG as an in-house uh, autonomy unit before that got spun out. So they, they, knew, they, knew, they know pretty well what autonomy is capable of, the potential of the technology as well, just constraints. So we've been talking uh, with them about partnering up for, for a few years now. Uh, and then until earlier this year, that conversation became more serious. And they know that, you know, AV is going gonna, is gonna to happen one day and they want to make sure that, and they know that when AV happens, that is going to be, that's going to require sort of a new ways of thinking, right? Uh, it's going to be very different in terms of how you dispatch uh, vehicles versus humans, how you deal with restaurant pickups, how you deal with optimizing utilization, utilization and routing. And so they want to make sure that they get to start kind of optimizing all these factors for when AVs will arrive uh, right away. So the, this partnership goes quite deep. It's, it's multi-phases and each phase sort of optimizes for uh, slightly different things. Uh, it's not just sort of like, you know, kind of 
commercial deliveries and, and that's it. Uh, we try to kind of optimize for, for deliveries. Now I'll kind of back to your question, Grayson, in terms of how this fits into the broader use cases. The way we think about it is we want to build a common platform that lets our partners uh, deliver anything, right? From restaurant food to, to groceries, to prescriptions, alcohol, e-commerce packages. And Uber is one of the best partners when it comes to making sure that we get to stretch ourselves uh, with as many use cases. They do grocery delivery, they do food delivery as well, they do convenience store delivery. So we get to test our platform, our system uh, with these different types of use cases. And, and again, food being one of the most difficult ones because of food quality needs, because of the, you have to be really fast uh, when it comes to delivering food. But I think another aspect that I'm really excited about when it comes to the Uber partnership is the fact that we get to work with small and medium businesses. When you introduce a new technology, you know, oftentimes the cost, the time associated with adopting new technology tends to be quite high, which means that small and medium businesses tend to be left behind. But with Uber, uh, we get to work with Uber to create a platform and makes it really easy for small and medium businesses to kind of adopt AV right away. And in fact, uh, the current phase of our partnership that we are delivering for Uber right now, we are exclusively working with local restaurants with no more than one location. And this is our way of making sure that we understand sort of kind of that segment uh, of uh, of merchants and make sure that we design the right product for them. What your partnership with Uber is giving those local restaurateurs the ability to scale without having to, to build a new kitchen, expand their physical footprint. You're giving them the ability to scale. You're giving them what is even greater, the ability of discovery. There might be an individual says, oh, they have a, I heard they have a great pasta. Oh, the Neurobot will deliver to me. Oh, okay, let's try. Oh my God, this is amazing. And now they have they have a new customer and, and they start getting it delivered. And perhaps they're, they make world-renowned French fries and hamburgers. And then they get delivered. I have the thing I call the French fry test when I look at all <laughs> delivery. If the French fries arrive and they're crispy and not soggy, that's a home run win for that delivery <laughs> service. And they're going to get my business every time. How can Neuro ensure through technology or innovations that you're developing that if it's a local restaurant that has the world's greatest French fries, that when they get to say your your house patch, that they're crispy and they're not soggy? What can you do for that? Yeah, keep keeping uh, the fries uh, crispier is not is not easy. It's hard. Um, so when it comes to food quality, there are, there are many factors uh, involved, right? But uh, sort of two two main factors are temperature and humidity. And a lot of food, like like fries, uh, get soggy because you don't have good ventilation system. So if you don't have, if your packaging doesn't let the fries, uh, doesn't let the steam come out, then it's gonna get soggy. Same same for pizza as well. So this is an area where we are working with uh, some of our partners to design a compartment insert to kind of help with temperature control uh, as well as humidity. Uh, so this is a, a pretty interesting space for us. Uh, I think one one thing to think about too is you know this is this is nothing new, right? Uh, keeping food quality great is is not quite it's not quite related to AB. And in fact, one of our partners, Domino's, uh, they are one of the original food delivery companies, right? They were created to be a food delivery company, so they have invested a lot of R and D into what's the best way to keep food quality high for 15, 20 minutes it takes uh, to get to customers' home. So again, you know, this is an area that uh, we're doing a lot of uh, research partnerships uh, with some of our food delivery partners uh, to make sure that you know, we get to advance a few and, and get to improve um, quality of the food that we deliver. 
you hit the nail on the head. Packaging, packaging, packaging. The right packaging in the right environment will deliver crispy fries, and you'll have me, Grayson, happy customer that will tell everybody to use the neuro service. You, you've worked very closely, as you talked about throughout this podcast, with your partners. Do you also work closely with your partners to determine routes and operating uh, ODDs of where you're going to operate? Is that a collaborative environment where FedEx might say, hey, Petch, we have a lot of traffic in this area, and they tend to be smaller packages that are perfect size for the bot. Do you work very closely on determining the routes that the vehicles will operate with your partners? The answer is yes. We don't just do our relationships with our partners are not just kind of transactional. They give us, hey, go deliver from point A to point B and we just do it, right? Each of these partners, uh, they we work with them quite closely. And many of our partners actually give us uh, access to hundreds of millions of real-world delivery data points that we... and each. Each of these uh, individual delivery data points is uh, from point A to point B. This is time of day, right? And we use all of these delivery data points to optimize not just sort of like our end operation, but all the way upstream to the way we build our autonomy stack. We know exactly where demand is. And hence, we know where to focus in terms of solving uh, autonomy uh, first. Um, so this goes kind of pretty much kind of end-to-end stack. Uh, we incorporate in our partners' data in order to kind of help us move faster and be more focused around uh, what we need to, what we need, what we should be focused on as a company, Grayson. So ultimately, I think in, inside Neuro, it's, it's about technology and kind of demand has to intersect. Right. Uh, so beyond kind of looking at all these demand patterns, we're also figuring out with our partners, uh, we are pretty transparent with them around our cost structure. So we try to optimize what are the best use cases that are perfect for uh, our cost structure at any point in time. FedEx, for example, we know that the initial use cases are going to revolve around the ones that where end customers have to be there in person to interact with delivery people, right? These tend to be the types of deliveries that are most expensive because um, delivery people, uh, the delivery drivers have to wait for the customers to come out and hence they are the most inefficient ones and we can help FedEx solve these use cases first. So these are scheduled use cases, uh, scheduled deliveries, appointment signature deliveries, uh, pickups or reverse logistics where delivery drivers kind of go in and pick up packages from you, right? Uh, So again, you know, we work with all of our partners uh, pretty closely to determine routing as well as economics uh, of of our service. Today, FedEx signature, FedEx overnight, they ring the doorbell. In the future, your bots they're not going to magically climb up my stairs to my door and ring and ring my doorbell. Well, Fed, were you working with FedEx to develop a push notification, perhaps on your phone? It'll say, "Dear resident, there's a neurobot outside with your your package." What is that interaction going to look like? Yeah, so FedEx already has a, a, a robust system around notifying their customers. Uh, if you receive a, a FedEx package, they send emails to you. They also send text messages to you as well you, if you opt into that notification flow. So we kind of get to build on, uh, on, on you know, the shoulder of the giant here. Um, they already kind of figure out how to uh, navigate, how to coordinate with their customers well and make sure that our system is, is integrated directly uh, into their notification flow. 
Now, I think there will be new things uh, that we'll have to add on as well. All of a sudden, you know, we we don't have uh, humans who are gonna go ring your doorbells, right? So we have to make sure that the customers will have to be there within a couple of minutes of our vehicles being there. Versus previously, if the customers don't come out for 10, 15 minutes, that's okay. The package, we just kind of sit there and wait for uh, the customers for whenever they're ready. So we kind of looking and testing. Uh, we're looking to, we are testing with FedEx around what's the right notification flow. So we send a message 10 minutes before, five minutes before. Uh, and then once we get there, how often and how frequent we should notify our customers to make sure that they're going to be there to receive a package in time, as well as how long our vehicle should wait there. Uh, for the customer before deciding to just kind of move on if the customer doesn't come out. So again, I think, you know, probably 80% of it is already there as part of FedEx's infrastructure, but we're still kind of experimenting with the last 20% to customize uh, the existing infrastructure that they have for kind of the age of autonomous vehicles. What you described is you're you're able to do this because of your tightly integrated partnerships, which has me wondering, FedEx ships packages all over the world. Domino's delivers pizzas, Kroger sells groceries. They're all different types of businesses, fun- fundamentally the way that they operate, but they have one common denominator. They have a partnership with Neuro. How is Neuro able to work with such a variety of companies? Do you have in-house grocery store experts, shipping experts? How are you able to go across all of those verticals? Yeah, I think ultimately uh, all of our partners want very similar things, uh, Grayson. First of all, they want a reliable uh, delivery experience, right? Uh, currently with uh, labor shortages in many markets, uh, finding good drivers becomes uh, a bigger problem. Retaining drivers becomes a problem. Training drivers becomes a problem. So one, they want supply reliability. Number two, they want a better unit economics for delivery. Last mile logistics is expensive because you know you have to be able to go to individual homes uh, at different points in time. So uh, most, of our deliver, deli- uh, most of our retail and logistics partners uh, want to solve the economics piece. Lastly, uh, all of them want to solve the delivery experience piece. More and more uh, retailers, the way that customers are interacting with brands is via the de- delivery channel. Back in the days uh, when it was all in-person shopping, retailers invested a ton into a, an amazing in-person shopping experience. But now, uh, more and more customers just interact with brands uh, via delivery channels. Yet delivery channels are currently sort of like an afterthought when it comes to an experience, right? So they, a lot of our partners want, want to kind of up-level the experience when it comes to delivery and make sure that delivery represents their brand well. So these are pretty common across all all verticals, be it restaurants, groceries, packages. Now, in terms of internally, uh, we also have to, for us to be the best uh, autonomous delivery company, we also have to recognize the nuances and the differences between these verticals, between these use cases as well. How we go by doing that is, again, uh, with the tight partnerships that we have uh, with each of these partners, we have dedicated teams uh, for our for different partners that are able to go deep with them and test new product ideas with them, uh, make sure that we always uh, listen to our customers together uh, in our pilot and kind of structure a pilot in a way that we test out and can push the boundaries uh, for each of these verticals and make sure that we don't just build a product that is the lowest com- common denominator across the use cases, uh, Grayson. Brands matter, brands matter, unit economics also matter. Is unit economics one of the reasons why you partner with BYD to, to build the factory in Nevada? Yes, yes. So 
The way we developed our product, one thing that has been helpful for us is from the start, we know exactly what our use case was going to be. So we set the specs early on in our company's life that here's the economics goal that we have to hit when it comes to the cost of an individual delivery, when it comes to the cost of the vehicle. Right. Uh, we are not just kind of, you know, putting in kind of building a really expensive vehicle and hoping that five years, 10 years from now, the vehicle will just become cheaper on their own. We kind of set these specs uh, pretty early, early on in our in our company's life. And as part of this, we know that we have to find a partner who's an expert in building vehicles at scale that can build thousands and thousands, uh, thousands and eventually tens of thousands of vehicles reliably and affordably. And that's where BYD comes in. BYD is one of the top EV manufacturers in the world. They know how to scale the manufacturing process well. They know how to build vehicles very cheaply and, and reliably. And that's, that's, our, that's why uh, we are working with BYD uh, to scale up our manufacturing. But you left out one very important part about BYD. They know how to manufacture batteries at scale. Yes, exactly. You have world-class manufacturing, you have world-class batteries, now you have a scalable operation. And as you scale, it's gonna come down to revenue growth. As we look to the future, how will you position Neuro for that growth? Christian, first of all, the market size is there. We already know that deliveries are huge uh, when it comes, uh, last mile logistics is, is, a, is a really big space uh, for us to tackle. Key to scaling our revenue growth is with our partners, right? Uh, and Neuro today, we, I believe that we have the strongest list of demand partners to help make this happen. Across the four or five major use cases that we wanted to tackle, we have the number one, number two uh, leaders in that space working with us. And that's the key. It's about making sure that we are tightly integrated with our partners. We know exactly where their demand will be and hence we know where to expand, where to focus our efforts. Again, uh, this is about you know, scaling up uh, an AV operation is a cost, uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty costly operation. So we want to make sure that we know exactly uh, where demand is going to be, where our partner stores are. And that's kind of the, the, key, the key part, uh, the key component uh, of, of our growth strategy. You're playing to your you're playing to your strengths. You're building a robot that can autonomously drive itself to get goods from point A to point B. You're partnering with world class partners that know how to operate and run their businesses. And putting this all together, Patrick, what is the future of Neuro? Kristen, I think the next the next five years is going to be about scaling about our service to millions and millions of customers, right? This is, but beyond that, I think AV is one of the most upstream technologies as well. It's like, you know, when the iPhone came around 15 years ago and that didn't just change the phone industry, that changed music and transportation and e-commerce and automotives before that, when automotives became a mainstream product in the last century, that changed the way we live, that changed the concept of, you know, retail, changed concept of transportation and where we work, we could work further away from home. I also believe that AV uh, is one of those upstream technologies that will have wide-ranging impact on our society beyond just shopping. It's going to change retail. It's going to change how you spend time. It's going to change how cities are built and, and real estate. Right now, our focus is getting our delivery service, autonomous delivery service up and running for the next three to five years and build a scalable product and service here. 
But beyond that, I believe that there's an opportunity for Neuro to play a bigger role in terms of driving societal change and become sort of that platform on which many other exciting products and services can can be built. Uh, and and that's what I'm really excited about. Uh, we have some ideas on how we want to continue to evolve our technology and product in the future. And I can't talk about them quite yet. Uh, but right now, my focus for the next three to five years is about setting up our autonomous delivery service at scale. You're laying the foundation to scale. And when you scale, the revenue will come. And if you keep going the way that all signs point to Neuro's going to reinvent delivery. And when you reinvent delivery, that's a special day for society because you're going to lower the cost and you're going to do it in a more sustainable way. Go team Neuro. And as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? Yeah, I assume that a lot of your uh, listeners are folks who are interested in AV. They might be thinking whether to join the industry. They might be thinking whether to invest uh, more in AV or not. And I think, you know, AVS industry, we have suffered from hype cycles quite a bit. There was sort of a peak exuberance period of 2016 to 2018, where everyone thought that AV was going to scale to, you know, tens of millions of vehicles, going to take over all the jobs in the next one to two years. And now we're kind of at the on the other end of that spectrum where, uh, you know, there's a lot of headlines coming out that, hey, AV is a pipe dream that's going to take another 10 years uh, to to make reality. I, my my advice or, or takeaway that I would love kind of your your listeners to to have is we we have to focus on the long term, and this is an amazing technology that is going to make deliveries and transportation more affordable, more environmentally friendly, and more more delightful overall. And seeing internal progress and metrics, uh, I can say that the pace of progress is now accelerating. We are getting closer and closer to AV becoming a reality. Uh, some of the players in the space are now starting to introduce uh, a public service that, uh, as we can see. So, so one takeaway that I would have for, for the listeners would be ignore the hype and focus on real progress on the ground. And AV is coming. And once it's, once it's here, uh, it's going to be beneficial uh, for, for society at large. Autonomous vehicles are coming. Autonomous vehicles are coming. Autonomous vehicles will have a positive impact on society because today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. And the future is neuro. Petch, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Ellis Jones, Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer at Goodyear. On this episode, Ellis will share Goodyear's goal to build a better future by using renewable energy and sustainable materials. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.